this week's Gas Giants podcast. I am Tom, and that is Gav, and we're going to talk about Ballard. J.G. Ballard, that is. Yeah. Uh, wherever you're listening to us, whenever you're listening to us, this is the Gas Giants. We are on Spotify. We are on Stitcher. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google. But uh, we are at home on Substack, where you can also follow along with the show notes. If you're subscribed on Substack, you will get an email for every new episode as it's published, and you can join in a conversation there in the comments on each Substack page, where you'll find all the bonus material. Yeah, and please do comment. We we love it. Yeah. Here we are with J.G. Ballard's book, High Rise. We're doing the book and not the film that's recently come out, mm-hmm. although we have uh, we have dipped into the film a bit as well. I think we can do as both. As a point of reference. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, the book's um, better, so... The book is better, yeah. let's face it. And uh, and the book um, the book poses more questions somehow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, like a lot of Ballard books, there's a lot of commentary in there. Ballard's books tend to involve a central character, you know, and but it's, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's written in the third person. Uh, in this case, it's a little unusual because there are there are like three central characters, and we shift between them for like one or two chapters at a time. Uh, yeah, but uh, in the case in this case, we've got one central character who's who does a lot of commentary. You know, his rather detached position from the action allows yeah. him to do an awful lot of social commentary sort of observations of the other characters and, and his thoughts yeah. on that are written down in the book. And you can't really do that in a movie without having voiceover narration, which is naff. They do that in the, in the high-rise movie, the, the Hiddleston movie. Yeah. But uh, there's only so much you can do. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot exactly. more to think about in the book. Absolutely. The book came out in 1975. Mm-hmm. Do we want to have a, a stab at the plot? Sure. Do you want me to have a go? Okay, yeah. Why don't you start off? I'll see if there's yeah. sort of kibitz from the sidelines. So the <laughs> the book starts off with the, like a lot of good books do, like, for example, a, uh, a Vonnegut book, novel would, with telling you the entire story in the first paragraph or two, and then yeah. going back to the beginning to, to fill in all the details. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah, so that first sort of paragraph, there's no, there's kind of no problem. Like Thomas Bernhardt's The Loser as well, same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no problem telling you, uh, telling you what goes on there, because uh, it's really the details that matters. Yeah, it's the, that's I mean, where the fun is. The the thing the thing about that first sentence, which is sort of cited as being uh, being a particularly a uh, good one, uh, is that it's a uh, it is it is actually a joke. I'll. I mean, I think we have to go uh, chapter and verse here, and I have to actually read out the opening sentence. I think you should go beyond the first sentence. There's a few more following from it that are equally wonderful and funny. Okay. Later, as he sat on his balcony eating the dog, Dr. Robert Lang reflected on the unusual events that had taken place within this huge apartment building during the previous three months. That's the first sentence. Now, you know, obviously, uh, dog bites man isn't mm-hmm. a story. Man bites dog is a story. <laughs> right. Uh, but the, the funny word in there is unusual. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's so, so like, I mean, what, what's really happened has obviously got to have been crazy, not just a yeah. bit unusual. <laughs> well, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of reminded uh, by the time our listeners, who of course listen to everything we do, uh, will get round to this uh, to this program, they will have uh, they will have listened to the one about Anthony Burgess. Mm-hmm. And uh, Burgess made a remark about Orwell's 1984, which is another book which starts with a with a sort of you know crashing first sentence. Yeah. Uh, big first sentences have kind of gone out of fashion a little bit these yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, they're they're seen as a kind of you know a kind of cheap trick. Oh, okay. I mean, mm. they uh, they they have their they have their sort of uh, an early high point with Kafka going on about how somebody must have been telling lies about Joseph K, mm. uh, which which was uh, which was something that influenced a lot of composers actually in the early sixties. I remember reading contemporary composers were were looking for something that would do that right at the beginning of a piece of music. But by the time we, we get to, uh, uh, you know, obviously that's earlier, by the time Orwell gets his hands on it, it's a very English thing he does. He has to tell you that what you're uh, going to hear is something pleasurably shocking. Mm. You know the the clocks strike thirteen. It's a it's a sign that the, that you're going to be told a ghost story. How about it was the afternoon of my eighty first birthday, and I was in bed with my catamite when Ali announced that the Archbishop had come to see me. Yeah, there's another great one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, but. But Burgess is having fun with that. Yes, I mean, there's in, a joke. Earthly powers, because it's a it's a joke, and it's also a, it's also a, 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 a an upper highbrow one because you don't know what the word catamite is. What uh, the well, the catamite <laughs> is exactly. A lot yeah. of us who read this book had to go and look that one up, and then found out that it is the object of a sodomite. Yes. <laughs> anyway, back to back to the balcony where the guy's roasting the dog leg. Please. <laughs> oh, cute, cute, so much nicer. No, yes, please. Let's read the rest of that paragraph or whatever. Just a few more sentences. Now that everything had returned to normal, he was surprised that there had been no obvious beginning, no point beyond which their lives had moved into a clearly more sinister dimension. With its faulty floors and thousand apartments, its supermarkets and swimming pools, bank and junior school, all, in effect, abandoned in the sky, the high-rise offered more than enough opportunities for violence and confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's useful because there's, there's your plot right there. Three months in a an enormous, uh, just recently completed high-rise apartment building, 40 floors, 1,000 uh, living units, mm. presumably there for, I don't know, a couple of thousand residents, uh, something yeah. of that order. Yeah. Uh, a, a shopping concourse, gyms, banks, swimming pools. A school. A school, yeah. A school. Uh, so so you, you'd have to reckon more than 2,000 then because, uh, okay, some people will be living there alone, but yeah. some people will be living there with kids. No, I mean, Obviously, there's provision made for that. Yeah, so plus and minus somehow. Yeah. And also in, in there, it gives us the time frame that something started about three months ago. And now yeah. the building, this is kind of like an interesting point that's a little unclear late as things happen, as things progress in the story. And at the end of it, the, the, the building is almost empty, he says, in, that, uh, in those mm. opening sentences. So at some point, people did finally evacuate. But 
The other joke in those opening sentences is how, uh, according to our hero, Lang, things have finally returned to normal. To normal, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's a normal well, in which he's eating a dog on his balcony, yeah. roasting it yeah. over, over a fire made out of telephone, old telephone directories. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the story is that uh, Lang moves into this apartment building, having sold up somewhere else in some rather ordinary part of London, and moved into this dramatic, modernist mm. new building with, with all Montcon, very futuristic kind of concept of, of living by convenience, living a, a completely manufactured life, uh, in terms of, yeah. at least in terms of its architectures and movements. You, you don't yeah. really need to leave the building except to go to work. Right? Yeah. And that's that's the daily ritual for uh, for the residents there. They they yeah. go off to their their jobs, come back, and everything else happens in the high rise. Yeah, at, the, at that exact moment, just well, just before moving in, he'd also got divorced. That's right. Which is uh, which is kind of an important point. So it's a break with the past and a, an attempt yeah. to move on into a different stage of his life. That's right. And he's and and his uh, sister lives in the same. It lives in the same tower blocks, just like two or three stories up from him or something like this. Sister uh -huh. Alice is there as well. And, and yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of casual sex that goes on in this high rise. There's, uh, there's plenty of, plenty of women for, for Lang to amuse himself with. I kind of like, just to delve briefly into the movie. I like the movie. I don't think it's as good as the book, but I don't think it really can be. But it is wonderful to have some images to go with the book. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at imagining what things look like from novels. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you can tell that the novelist thinks he or she is describing something very visually and you can kind of get the picture of it. Oftentimes I can't. So I find, mm. I find that very helpful. But the, the result is also Lang looks like Tom Hiddleston to me now, mm. who's not a bad looking guy, I got to admit. And mm -hmm. and and I think he's a good choice for Lang, uh, this rather rather detached, loose, yeah. devil may care kind of character. Yeah, uh, there is a theory that the character of Lang in the book actually um, represents R. D. Lang. Yeah, you put that in the Substack page. Explain yeah. that connection for me. I didn't well, get it. Well, um, R.D. Lang was uh, was was a, a Scottish psychiatrist and uh, psychoanalyst, and uh, he had a uh, when the whole thing was kind of in its infancy in Britain. What whole, he, what whole thing? Well, uh, sort of treating mental illness and uh, and you mean in the uh, Victoria era? No, I mean. <laughs> In the uh, sort of fifties and and then moving into that, the sixties, that wasn't when, quite when the people infancy. were actually starting to 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 treat it not as you know in a, in a more sort of imaginative way. Uh, he came up with this project where he he got given uh, an entire building in East London and moved himself and various doctors and a whole lot of patients into this building and they all uh, they all lived in it yeah and uh, uh kingsley hall it was called this i think is kind of maybe something that he's uh, that 
uh, Ballard is, is maybe hinting Okay, at. but how would it relate to this book? What's the connection? Well... Apart from the name. No, um... It's also it also gives you the sense of the slight sense of detachment that comes with the Lang character, because yes, he does get involved in in all of the bad craziness that goes on, but there is he he does actually retain this kind of uh, this this sort of detachment which allows him to function as a as kind of our narrator, a Virgil, you know, yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, just to, I guess we should do a bit more of the story. The uh, the three main characters are Lang, who's this divorcee, recently divorced um, a doctor. He's obviously mm-hmm. well to do, has some money, has a car. He he can drive. Get, his commute to work is only five minutes from this place. Uh, yeah, he he finds it quite. It suits him quite well. Um, the other character, the other main characters are the architect as he's called, uh, Anthony Royal. Here's, here's where we get into really yeah. funny names. So you've got to wonder about Lang's name. It's a good point because the other yeah. two main characters are Anthony Royal and... Richard Wilder. Richard Wilder. And both of which are such wonderful Dickensian sort of names because Wilder is a rather wild man and Royal yeah, is... Dick Wilder, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, um, and, and, uh, and Anthony Royal is, is very royal. You know, he's, uh, huh. he's a really stuck-up asshole. But, the, but his position at the... He's, he lives on the 40th floor at the very top and has access to the gardens and whatnot. If, if any character in the book would be R.D. Lang, it would be the architect. It would be Anthony Royal, uh, because he's, he actually talks up to, to Lang about, at one point about why he didn't leave. the. Um, why does he even live in this building? I mean, doesn't he got other things, nicer places he could mm. live or whatever? Well, and the uh, and the answer and the answer is because he wants to see what happens. It's his experiment. Yeah. It's his social experiment. He want you know he set he set it up knowing that it would somehow break down, and he wants to see how it breaks down. Mm. Yeah, the answer to that also might, or the idea for all of that might be the character of Ernold Goldfinger. Yes, who was a Hungarian architect who who's. Uh, who created a lot of uh, public housing in in London in the sixties and seventies, and uh, he uh, uh, he built this this uh, this project called the the Balfron Tower, right. and he did actually move into that for a yes. couple of months before going back to Hampstead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, quite part- yeah, very likely. Um, yeah, I, well, moving on quickly with the plot, so. Uh, basically, sort of like around about the time that the uh, that last unit gets occupied, and like we've got one thousand units occupied, um, the politeness and um, you know the the civil society within the tower starts to break down, with mm-hmm. uh, petty grievances being brought up between neighbours or between people of <clears throat> from different parts of the building, and these yeah. various petty grievances. Uh, just sort of build up into uh, into more and more, you know, vandalism, violence, uh, personal attacks, ranging from just jostling people in the end to uh, the, mm. the end up eventually being uh, with, with murder or gang rape and things like that. 
this 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 progression happening over three months. But one, you know, there are some, you know, for example, there is in here this eternal tension in public spaces between the people with small children and the people with dogs. Right? Mm -hmm. They they are natural enemies, just like dogs are enemies with cats. Right? It's just or or or, or, or yeah. daughters with mothers. You know, that's just the yeah. way it is. And well, Lang narrates how how these events sort of escalate in deliberate provocations. It's like a petty vindictiveness that yeah. that comes out. And it's impossible not to think that he's talking about Shepparton, the yeah. suburb of London that Ballard lived in, which is sort of like, it, well, it's one of those places in London that, that people would tend to sort of laugh at as a, a sort of classic example of mm. lower middle class mm -hmm. uh, suburban development. But, you know, that's where he lived all those years. He was called, people called him the Sage of Shepparton or something like that. But yes. It's, yeah. Isn't it fascinating to think that he would have lived there observing this very sort of compact suburban life and developing his theories about human behavior, how societies operate, yeah. how people relate to each other, and the psychology behind it all, and putting it all into his books all those years while he's living there in Shepparton. I, yes. I think that that in itself is, is a remarkable sort of indictment uh, of the culture yeah. of the society. Yeah, I, I think also a lot of that research goes back um, further to... Uh, to his time in a, as a child in, in an internment camp during the Second World War as well. Well, even before that, uh, before, yeah. his, before his family was interred, they were, well, the, uh, fill that blank in there. J.G. Ballard was born in Shanghai in the international zone there. I'm not sure exactly what it was called. But basically there was a, a block of Shanghai that was carved out for all the foreign um, families to stay in, like the consular staff, the traders, the... Um, I mean, Shanghai has been an important city for international trade for a long time. And yeah. it's so far away. You know, it's sort of like a, a little colonial enclave almost. But it was at the time that he lived there before the war, it was very advanced and very wealthy. People had big American cars. They had refrigerators, mm -hmm. big houses with servants. It was yeah. it was pretty swish. And when, when Ballard finally got out of China and returned to the UK, he arrived off the boat in Southampton and was sort of astonished at the backwardness of British life relative to mm -hmm. what he grew up with and the sort of like American culture dominated part of Shanghai. Um, but yes, no, I, I mean, the, the experience that, that Ballard had, basically a prisoner of war, Yes. Of the Japanese, and then that being turned over back to the Chinese, and then them basically disappearing and is allowed to mm. walk off. Yes, that surely, I mean, I, I think of it as being like he's another, he's the third in the, in the, in the list of those that we've, that we've brought up so far in this podcast, war-damaged writers, who's, yes. you know, along with Vonnegut and um, Salinger that we already discussed, yeah. who, who obviously had a very, at an early age, a... Uh, an experience that would have been completely yeah. different from somebody who'd grown up in a in a safe and secure, normal sort of child, yeah. chi childhood. But certainly, it must leave a trauma behind, but it also, it blows open all the myths that may be given yeah. about why people live the way they do and yeah. make you wonder what's really going on. Even so, I still want to come back to the idea that for me, the way... 
the behavior of the people is described in this book, although it may be crazy and extreme, the motivations for it seem to me to be all very typically English, not mm, particularly yes. not particularly internment camp craziness. Yeah. It's just it's just that Ballard's method in some of his books was to take what he thought was really going on and just and let that develop in a yeah. in a crazy fantastic way in a novel and see where it goes yeah i mean you know we're, we're already seeing this uh there's um you know the, the london is is being is being bought up and being redeveloped there are laws in places there absolutely should be about uh, that if you build a new building you have to build a certain amount of affordable housing you know the uh, the entrance to certain bits of that affordable housing housing is different from the entrance to yeah. you know to the expensive flats which uh ballard of course has predicted with his uh system of different lifts yeah in the uh, but I mean, in, it wasn't even a prediction this was this has this has been the way of it segregation of housing is yeah. is is absolutely fundamental to to the way you know westerners live Probably not just Westerners, right? Uh, you know, you, you, rich people live with rich people, and they and we have police forces to keep people from the poor people in the poor people neighborhoods. I mean, yeah. it's been that way all along, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, I I lived in a in a building in on the outskirts of Paris, which um, is very very unusual. It's called La Palacio. Yeah. It uh yeah, it's been built by an architect called Ricardo Bofield in like the about 1980ish. Uh yeah, I would have been there actually I would have been there end of the I think I moved in about 1990. Yes, but that was built around Yes, so I think it, I think he was around sort of 85 or something like okay. that. Okay. So it was pretty new when you moved in. Yeah, um it appears in the movie Brazil actually. Uh, it appears in quite a few weird '80s movies. I, I do remember. It's a very strange piece of architecture. It's, oh yeah, uh, it is. It's pretty hard to um, make any sense of it. It wasn't a bad place to live, actually. But rather like the whole Ballard idea, uh, there were there was a, a square bit in the middle which had uh, really expensive, big luxury apartments, mm -hmm. and the rest of us were all. Uh, you know, the world cheaper places. Yeah. Uh, I kind of, uh, I, how I got ended up living there is, is too complicated to explain, but, uh, I was, um, it, uh, the problem wasn't the apartments. I mean, the, this is why the whole, the whole thing with the, uh, with, with the book is a bit of a stretch for me and why I don't actually think it's kind of about, architecture or housing it's about society yes because you know it wasn't that people uh people started uh you know jostling each other or anything like that i just never saw anybody right you know there was uh, there was no contact to neighbors no contact to anybody it was just like a sort of dormitory yeah. i remember sitting in noisy le grand reading an, an article in the face about the teenage gangs of the banlieue, 
Yeah. And I was reading about these, this teenage gang, very violent teenage gang that was in Noisy-le-Grand called Le Denier Salopard, the last bastards. And thinking, looking out the window and thinking, where are they? Could I join these guys? Because there's nothing else going on here. Yeah. No, I, I think the, the high-rise in high-rise serves the same sort of function as a spaceship in yeah. a in a science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Uh it it's it's a way of well for one thing it's enormous. Yes. For another it's on a piece of land which is also enormous. There are five of these things going up yeah. and they're sort of like a quarter of a mile spaced from each other with these enormous car parks. So the place is sort of a bit science uh-huh. fiction and weird. And the and, and the movie does does I think a good job of, of visualizing that. It's on the periphery of London. It's a, in, a, in a part of London that you wouldn't otherwise go to yeah. for any damn reason. So it's and and the and the occasionally have a look out from the in the novel. We have a look out of a window and think about whether or not the the river the Thames has changed its course overnight, you know, <laughs> because things are starting to look very weird. Um, mm-hmm. And in real life, people would be going out much more. It's just housing. But in this case, yeah. it's like a spaceship where everybody's, you know, like on a Titanic. Mm-hmm. They've got their cabins, but, you know, you can't spend all your time mm-hmm. in your cabin. So you've, so you've got to go and find your way to entertain yourself by walking around the decks or going to the restaurants or the entertainment places or what have you. Yeah. Going shopping, having yeah. parties in other people's apartments. Although that, that was actually something that was part of, uh, of, of living out in Oisille-le-Grand. Was the fact that uh, that there was uh, there was a train that connected you with Paris? Well, that stopped at around midnight. Yeah. The uh, the shopping centre, which had everything in it, closed at I think ten thirty, yeah. and then that was it. There was really nothing going on. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think the the idea had been. Um, I, I did do a little bit of research on this. The idea had been that there was going to be a business centre uh, built somewhere near to the place, and there was actually an entire driverless train network built mm. and just never used. I found this on YouTube They because they, they, they opened it up once to show everybody, basically. Hmm. And, uh, but the business center never got built. And so it, we, we really were stuck marooned out here. Yeah. And, and what you were talking about, the... Um, earlier about you know uh segregating sort of people of a lower income to a certain place uh you know in in france if you want to uh if you wanted to rent an apartment you know i i went and i got i found myself in a situation where i couldn't stand where i was living and it was it was unhealthy this is before I, before i moved to noisy le grand i had a, an apartment in vincennes which uh, which had mold. And I was like, come on, I can't do this anymore. I'm I'm going to just take whatever money I can scrape together and rent a place, even if it's pricey. And uh, so I found a found a studio, and I went and I was about to sign the contract. And the guy said, "Well, I need to see your last two paychecks, your last two payslips, you know." Mm. And I, I showed him, and he said, uh, "No." You can't afford it. And you actually have to produce 
you know, for your your pay slips and show that you've you earn above a certain amount in order to to be able to uh, to actually rent a place. Why would he look? Why else would he look at your pay slips? Yeah, that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, but I found it quite shocking. Hmm. It's essentially like a credit check. Also, once you're in, there may be laws protecting uh, protecting you from getting turfed out if you don't pay your rent. No. Uh, so that's a you know a counterfoil to that, isn't it? Yeah. But it does also work as a kind of financial apartheid. Of course. Yeah. yeah but the pr- housing pricing, uh, price of everything is a kind of apartheid, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. Right? I mean, why why do why do people want to tool around in silly expensive cars? Because mm. they want to show that they got money. I mean, it's it's I've got something you haven't got. It's something it's important to people. It's, but it's not. It, 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 but with housing, it's much. It's much deeper than that, isn't it? it because the neighborhoods with expensive homes usually have better schools, and vice versa, right? Mm. So here, for example, the neighborhood I live in, you do get a lot of young professionals living here, and 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 over the years that we've been here, over twenty five years now, well, it started off as a as a gay neighborhood. There was a lot of uh, Puerto Rican immigrants here. A lot of black people and a lot of artists. It was a cheap mm-hmm. neighborhood when we moved in, and it was a slum ten years before that. So we were part of the early gentrification. Mm-hmm. It just just went on and on from there. But one of the clear transitions was the young professionals. I guess we would have been belonging to that class. They had children, but they mm-hmm. all all move out when children go to school age because they're not going to send their children to Boston public schools. They'd have to be very wealthy to send them to private schools, and mm. you know that's that's a stretch. But people, but the other the other cohort that moved in and jacked up the prices was empty nesters. So people moving mm-hmm. from the suburbs, from detached homes in the suburbs, to have some city life uh, once they down down downgrade from a big mm. family home. Well, of course, interesting that Ballard puts a school in. The building, so he's already thought about that one. Yes. Uh, however, the the breeders are in the lower floors. So the the way yeah. it's, the way it's described is that there are basically, t- uh, yeah, there are two actual physical dividing floors. There's a tenth floor uh, concourse, mm. which is all, um, you know, it's, it's like a mall. And mm. there's on the thirty first, thirty fifth floor, there's another swimming pool and some other sports stuff. Mm-hmm. going on and from one floors one through nine this is um the the lower work the lower middle class you might call it and there these are what this is where the breeders are mm-hmm. everybody between floors 11 to say about 35 that's what he's calling his mobile technocratic unrooted mercenary yeah middle class so they're they're uh, professional mercenaries they they'll they'll go and work, sell their loyalty yeah. to anyone if it advances yeah. their career uh, and this is the i think there's a glorious line in there uh this is the kind of people who are eager to settle for second best um mm. because they still have to work for somebody they need a they need a salary yeah. and then on the uh, up on the top level that's that's basically a british upper class um, mm-hmm. They have the like the top five levels, and and they have what's it from the thirtieth floor up? I'm not sure. They have express lifts, elevators mm-hmm. that that don't stop the first thirty floors at all. Yeah. So they can get up there conveniently, and they're and they're nicer lifts, of course. Mm. 
uh, yeah, without having to meet the other the other right, residents. Oh, right, yeah. right. On those upper floors, when the when tensions are escalating, the uh, the dog owners from the top levels would get out at the thirtieth, thirty fifth floor and get into one of the slower, you know, the regional mm. <laughs> or like local trains going down, mm. and then get their dogs to pee in the uh, in the elevators. Mm. <laughs> oh, the nature of. Um, I, 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 there's, it's it's a funny thing, though, isn't it? Because there's so much of this book is horrifying and, and mm. really gross. Yeah. Uh, but it is full of so many funny and wry jokes and so much satire. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't yeah. know how you felt about the humor. Yeah, no, I, 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 yes, I think you are right in looking for traces of a comic novel, which it's, uh, which I think any English literature at the end is. I think there's this there's this line of of comedy that goes through everything that the English do. You know, does that go back? Yes, I guess you're right. Yeah, there's yeah. there's always it's a, it's a, it's it's what um, if if you want a national uh, sort of uh, feature or something that you we can't escape doing, then that's it. Yeah, I mean the I'm, I was just trying to think what's uh, what's some old humorous stuff. Well, Dickens is hilarious, right? Yeah, and but but. What's the sort of like canonical example of the earliest modern English? It's Chaucer, right? Again, yeah. hilarious. Or yeah. Shakespeare, very, very yes. funny. Yeah, there's, I mean, you can go through the entire, the entire canon of English literature and you cannot take humor out of it. Mm. It turns up. You can, you can expel it with a pitchfork, but it will always come back. Yeah. Uh, even, even in an unintentional way, but it's always there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean in the case of high rise however it, it there's a it gets it gets pretty rough you know in the second hmm. half of the book oh, yeah and the movie has that toned down considerably even though i guess some people will not like the movie for that you know because mm. the the perversity and violence going on but yeah. uh but in the book i mean it's cleaned up a good bit in the movie for example um yeah. in the movie lang's sister is dead Yes, and my guess is that's because they didn't want to have to deal with the incest. You know, um, yeah, uh, I think it might also be because uh, they didn't want to split the big female role between two or three characters. Yeah, I think they they wanted to to make uh, what's her name Charlotte. Yes. Is it? Yeah, I want, they they wanted to to build that up into a bigger role and actually give it to one actress. Yes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have a feeling that the that they they they. Well, I mean, look, Crash was two books before this, and about two years before the book was written. Mm-hmm. And don't know about you, but I couldn't read Crash. Oh no, I read that. Yeah, yeah I got a certain a certain distance in. I oh, I can't take it. I it's too much. Whereas in High Rise. It starts off relatively gentle and just sort of builds in perversity. And I have to admit that sort of like in the last, let's say, third of the book, I'm wondering what further logic is being served here other than just like raising the atrocity level. Uh, Basically what happens is uh, it gets the whole building then gets reduced to a sort of tribal society uh, or splits up into different tribes. Until, uh, you know, finally, uh, Wilder, for instance, who's been trying to scale the building and, and, uh, 
been trying to to get higher up on the building keeps get re- getting repelled the whole time he's got his camera with him because mm-hmm. uh, it starts off that he's trying to shoot a documentary but it uh, but then the camera gets broken and he just ends up using it as a weapon in the meantime other people are filming acts of violence and uh these are all getting screened in one of the cinemas yeah yeah, not just acts of violence, I mean, um, rape and perversions yeah. and what have you. Yes, the the I mean the point here is that according to the individual involved, the fact that the building is so isolated mm. gives them permission to express whatever psychopathology they may w- mm. need to or want to uh, express. And it allows the, as it's described at one point in the book, imagine a uh, an airliner on automatic pilot flying across an ocean yeah. and the children just being allowed to do whatever they want to do, a pilotless aircraft. So mm. again, this is like the, the science fiction analogy. The, the, yeah, exactly. imagine, imagine that there's, there's just nobody in charge and you're isolated mm-hmm. now. Given that other people around you are starting to behave in somewhat violent ways do you want to join in do you want to back off mm-hmm. whatever what's and and yeah. and and ballard's view is that let's let's explore the, the the various kinds of responses to to that that people in in shepparton might have you know yeah and and, and, uh, and in, in, in the case of Wilder, because you brought him up again, when you said scaling the building, Wilder is specifically trying to just get up to the top of the building to go and confront Anthony Royal uh, mm-hmm. one way or another, just at least to get in front of him, see, see what the hell is going on. Uh, but the, sort of, the, the nature of, of the clans that develop are, is, is to do with access to the common areas. So stairs lifts uh this Uh is the way that they uh this is the way that they sort of like establish the in-group and the out-group is is policing those choke points um Mm -hmm. and so that makes the the wilder's job of getting up the building very difficult and very violent um and he does violence to others in in his progress Mm -hmm. and often gets getting slapped down and having setbacks but the three main characters there wilder lang and royal royal they're, they're, they're three interesting, distinct psychologies. It struck me that at the, at the end of it, Wilder is still trying, although he, he starts off being the more violent-natured guy. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a former professional rugby player, and mm-hmm. he, is, he is strong, and he likes to settle things by using his his physical presence, and if necessary, mm-hmm. by using using violence. That's, that's how he deals with shit. Mm-hmm. But he's not entirely a bad sort, and he is genuinely curious about what the hell this royal character really is. Mm-hmm. And when he gets to the top of the building, his response to royal and the way that royal behaves to him, it seems almost, it seems justified that he mm-hmm. murders Royal. It seems like he's, he's one of the few people left in this building, although he's gone kind of, he's gone mad. Yeah. 
that what's what's driving his behavior is in fact a uh, some sort of morality that he still holds on to that virtually everybody else has abandoned mm. and uh, certainly royal was never had it in the first place no. and and wilder was willing uh, and not wilder and lang our sort of in, intermediate character the detached one he's willing to mm-hmm. trade in anything for whatever works and then of course uh, wilder is uh, we don't actually get told this, but we are left to assume that he's dismembered by a gang of cannibal women. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he gets he gets stabbed by the by the mm. women. Uh, they yeah, they pull the knives out, and so it's yeah, pretty but clear that he's going to get is, killed. There is a sort of indication that, that they're that they're doing cannibalism yes, up there. Yes, well, there's there's the availability of meat uh, mm-hmm. at various meals and for cooking. And it's mysterious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, because they're not getting it from the shop anymore. <laughs> uh, no. Although, no, they, they don't seem to run out of alcohol at any stage in this. I wonder no. who's stocking the bar. Well, yes, that, that is a... Uh, no, there, there's this weird bit in the, in the book where he visits, uh, where Wilder visits the, uh, the shop, and they just haven't got any normal food anymore. They've only got dog food. Mm. And... It's not that they can't get supplies. They said, yeah, nobody's buying We don't stock the other stuff. Nobody's buying it. Yeah. Now, we have to <clears throat> come to actually the, the most interesting bit of this book here because everything deteriorates. The, uh, it turns into, into a sort of human zoo. Yeah. Um, there's uh, everything's trashed. You know, there's, there's violence going on. There's tribal society that gets formed, whatever. But the point is, nobody wants to leave. Yes, it does seem that way for a long time. But then there's this jump. And, and it's actually mentioned right in that opening sentence. That, sorry, those opening few sentences mm. that you read for us. That's why those yeah. few sentences are so useful here. Is that the population of the... He says that the tower is now nearly empty. But there are hints that... There are other hints elsewhere that eventually people evacuate. It, it becomes too much for some people. Uh, uh-huh. this, is, this is not stated very clearly. But yeah. Well, quite a lot of people are dead at this stage as well. Yes, but if we're saying, if we're saying at least 2,000 residents, and, yeah. and, 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 and now the remaining population is surviving on what they can forage within this mm-hmm. thing, yes, I guess it could be a very large-scale cannibalism yeah. where like 90 percent of the population has been eaten but yeah. um but I, also... I, I think i think that there's a i think it's reasonable to assume that not everybody is as adaptable as mm. lang not everybody's quite right. gone native but right. there's a, there's a point also uh where there's a kind of a truce is is formed uh, a certain time of the day so that people can actually get out, leave the building, go to work, mm-hmm. and then come back. Yeah, you know, so the lifts are are, are sort of uh, put to to their normal purpose for that, yeah. and then then when after a certain time, then suddenly it's all the the lifts and all of the stairways That's and right, all yeah. of the communication points are then no go areas. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and one there is there is this point, and that's also why I put on the Substack page the Bunel film, The Exterminating Angel. Yes. Which is another, which is a movie about people who can't leave a certain place. Right. 
Yeah, that's a good one. And yeah, it is. It's a very good one. It's, it's yeah. also very funny. Yes. That is seen by some as a sort of parable of Franco's Spain. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you've you've done this thing. You've uh, you've you've started this. You know, you've started this war. You've uh, you've pushed down the, uh, the 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 working class. Now you can't leave. Right. Now, this, are you are you happy with this now? Because yeah. now you can't leave. Now you're in charge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've broken it. Now you own it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a uh, and part of this this sort of like daily cycle, which is really weird, is that all of the uh, at least for a lot of the book, all the really interesting activity happens between dusk and dawn, mm-hmm. and during the day, people are trying to get some rest uh, mm. and maybe do some chores if they you know go and get some get some provisions, and some of them go off to mm. work, but Lang. When he's at work, he's just thinking about getting back home uh, yeah. because it's so much more exciting. His yeah. his job is boring in comparison to what's going on at home, even yeah. though to us it would seem really terrifying. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's so, that, that sort of like doesn't make sense, right? It's like if you imagine yourself in that situation, you'd be mm. out, right? Well, maybe maybe uh, uh, the modern or the slightly more modern version of this would be Fight Club. Yeah. Um, no. No. Huh? No. No, I think Fight Club is a kind of different sort of thing. But if you want, go ahead and, and make mm. your an- analogies. No, all right. Fair enough. But um, I was talking about how the whole thing just seems terrifying and you would you would – you would escape. But what the residents of this tower are doing is that whenever mm-hmm. there's any sort of curiosity from the outside world as to what's going on in the tower, there's perfect unanimity in saying, oh, oh nothing to see here. Nothing to see fine. here. Exactly. Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. We're good. I mean, let's face it, a, a more banal author would probably have written this whole book in Lang making a statement to the authorities right mm. at the beginning and yep. then done the whole book as a flashback. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, let me tell you how it all went wrong. Yes. You yeah. Know? But in the, in, in the, I think in the, in the, in the, in the film, we had actually a moment where, where Royal actually mm. talks to a policeman uh, who, you know, a patrol uh, car has actually come up to the front doors and said, no, no, there's nothing, nothing we can't sweep under the carpet. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, this this of course is a very ballard thing in a way, or at least ties into a very ballard thing, which is to be Adam is something that yeah. that he he likes. You know, this uh, in the Crusoe. drowned world, the guy the guys the guy ends up uh, going up river. In yeah. the book that I just read, Hello America, yeah. somebody yes. uh, arrives in America and, and which nice. has been laid waste by an ecological disaster with the idea of becoming president. Yes, uh, you know, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, um, and become yeah. president of what exactly? Or in Concrete Island, you've got a Robinson yes. Crusoe. Uh, the drought uh, mm-hmm. it has that journey in it as well. But in that case, he's he's looking for. I think he ends up looking for an, uh, the sea. I, mean, I can't remember. It's a long uh-huh. time ago, really. Yes, and Wilder in this case is making a. You know, he's got this journey to the top, mm-hmm. and underway. 
think about Ballard's books in this period, you know, from, let's say, 65 to mm-hmm. up to this point, let's say 1965. Which 75. is 75. Yeah, okay, so 10 a lot years. Of, a lot of them sort of experimentally dealing with uh, atrocity and sort of... Uh, uh, violence. It's a, liter- it's a literary effort to put as much shock and horror and revulsion on the page as possible, mm-hmm. but also to make it somehow important. And as I said, I, did, I couldn't get along with Crash. Maybe I could do it another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point uh, in High Rise, sorry, in the sequence, you know, High Rise has got a, you know, let's say, a first half, which is sort of interesting. It's presenting a development. And then mm-hmm. the back half, as I sort of criticized already, it, it sort of ties itself off at the end. But there's a few chapters there where it seems like not much is changing. Mm. And we're just going through a presentation of of atrocities again. Yeah. Uh, do you get the feel? Yes, I do. I, I have the feeling that... Um, the the thing is, he he started out as a as a as a writer for science fiction magazines. Uh, he started out in PR. Oh, he's yeah, another. Of okay, he's yeah. another. He's another it. PR guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he had, so he you know he had his his start in in commercial writing. So again, uh-huh. where you've got to be, you've got to get to the point quickly and not waste time yeah. and be very very clear. You know, a bit like Vonnegut learned early on as well. Yeah, um, oh, there's a lot of it. Salman Rushdie was another one. Yeah, actually, well, yeah, he, he, was, he worked in an advertising agency. To start well, with, he yeah. completely lost his brevity, didn't he? <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, no, that that is interesting. But I have this. Uh, the the thing is, writing writing for for a science fiction magazine, writing in that form, mm. and then of course the problem was that after he'd after he'd done this for a bit, basically that form and uh, ceased to be in any way commercially viable yes printed magazines and, and literature in printed magazines died out completely mm. i do hope it'll come back one day yeah. i really really do hope yeah, I, but, yeah um, you'd like to think so wouldn't you <laughs> I, I would i really would but, uh, what with, but what with phones ipads uh netflix and the internet i i don't see it anytime soon but my point is that um i don't no, if he always made the jump from that form into novels uh, quite so seamlessly, and this is maybe one of those examples. Well, yeah, what I'm what I'm sort of postulating here is, like in 1965, that's when his wife died suddenly, meaninglessly, mm-hmm. almost stupidly. Um, yeah, that clearly put him in a bad place, and a bit like again, I'm thinking here of Burgess, how he was in a really yes. bad place when he wrote Clockwork Orange. He's said straight up that the atrocity exhibition was uh, was sort of his response to that. It was a mm. uh, he was angry, yeah. But he was he's also been full of experiences as a child, which show what human nature can be, what people can yeah. do, and you know here we are in a polite society in England in Shepperton. Uh, I'm going to rub your noses in what people really are. Yeah, he was confrontational like that. Now, when Cronenberg's uh, version of Crash came out, he uh-huh. was very pleased with the controversy that it presented. It really pissed people off, mm. and it's still not. I mean, in the 
in in Westminster Council in London still can't put it on. Can't put it in the cinemas. There was a lot of reaction to that across a lot oh, of countries. Oh, I remember, yeah. Of, I, I actually I, re- you, I remember but, renting it from Blockbuster yeah. and it was about fifteen minutes long. <laughs> um, and it's it's very, very interesting to me. That was what, ninety five? Bit later than that. Yeah, yeah, that would have been around then, yes. Okay. And very interesting that that wasn't now we're not talking about the nineteen forties and fifties here. We're talking about no. modern times. And how can this no. movie be that upsetting to people? I mean, he really and Cronenberg succeeded in really somehow mm. provoking polite society in in a very, very unusual way. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Because uh, there were there were questions asked about it and everything. It yeah. was Yeah. Now, the point I raise that is not just because the, it's very interesting how he can have that effect, but it's very interesting to me that Ballard was very pleased at that response because that's what yeah. he wanted from Crash itself. Yeah. He's, well, also, he's, you know, he's, he's, is... he's, he's trying to push us to the point where we can't take it. Mm. Yeah. It's also uh, a sign that it was actually good. The movie, uh, as yeah, no, yeah, because um, you know, if if it was just a whole lot of uh, violence and, and pornography and whatever, and it had no value at all, then you'd say, you know, oh, yeah, it's rubbish. Yeah, don't don't go and see it; it's, it's crap. But the point was that it was actually good, and that made it more powerful. Yeah, and I... that's why that's why it really got under people's skin. <laughs> Because it, it made them question things. I, re- I really tried to like Crash the movie, but didn't. Because I do like some Cronenberg movies. Um, and I think the movie has a one of the best soundtracks. I mean, certainly not the best, because we know what that is. Uh, <laughs> but it's got a fantastic soundtrack. Specs, it looks fantastic. I think it's, it's a very well photographed movie, and just oh, not just photographed but designed. Mm-hmm. But I find myself at the end going, like, "What is this? I just don't understand it." You know, I don't follow. It was a book. It was a well, uh, the the film to make it different from the book. What you know was um, it was uh, it was about loneliness. Yes. That was uh it was it was about loneliness and uh, and and distance at the at the end of the century and our fear of uh of commitment of getting close of anything like that for our fear of each other. Mm. 
that's what I took from it anyway. Yeah, watching it again not very long ago, together with Avon, we were both sitting there and going, like, what does that ending mean? Still got no idea. <laughs> yeah, but it still bothers you, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, there was some, and there, there was a, there's a degree of stiffness to some of the acting in that, uh, which sort of just gets built upon and built upon throughout the movie. There's some really mm-hmm. nice parts in it. I mean, it's not that I found it offensive yeah. uh, because I don't think it's that, that weird. I, there's, there are movies that I do find offensive and that wasn't one of them, you know, like the Liam Neeson type movies with, mm. Mm. Uh, with supposedly vigilante justified brutality and mm. uh, which I find pretty gross. Not here. I mean, these are just these are just perverts. I just didn't feel like the movie hung together as a as a, as a story. Mm. No, maybe not. I I do remember. I preferred the book. Like I say, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I could have another go one day. I don't feel like I need to because I read so many of the books and have enjoyed them. Did you read any of the autobiographical ones? No, I haven't. Uh, haven't got to that. Really, really good. Yeah. yeah so. Empire of the Sun, very, very good. And then he sort of like a, did a revision of that with extensions called uh, The Kindness of Women, which is excellent. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a very good book by any standard, you know, by any measure. Mm-hmm. So this idea of the, uh, of the exclusive apartment block, yeah. uh, which, um, you know, I mean, when this, when this book first came out, uh, a high rise in Britain would have been more directly associated with public housing. Yes, in general, but not exclusively, no. Mm. Uh, because there were already Bargain Towers and some other developments that were not specifically because they were towers, but much, much more because they were complexes for living in. Uh-huh. Excuse me, concrete complexes. Yeah. With this, that, and the next thing, and there, and everything designed by everything having the look of modern architecture, mm-hmm. this sort of constant oppressive feel of having an architect involved in everything um, yes. that 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 you experience when you're in the space. Oh, there was a great example that I just watched in a really, really old, like 1972 Doctor Who, huh? where we had a a se- an outdoor sequence with. You know, some monsters chasing the doctor and 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 Joe Grant through the South Bank Centre. Because oh, you remember yes. how the South Bank Centre was another of these concrete modernist things, yeah, uh, which yeah. had a little bit like the Charles de Gaulle Terminal One, is it? Where it's yes. got all those t- the weird connecting causeways and tubes and yes. whatnot. Yeah. Um, so they had that. They used that, I guess, for the architecture and. You know, it's it's this sense that there's an Anthony Royal character somewhere who's imposing his aesthetic on us ordinary people who have to try and get into a concert hall or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I was uh, I was just interested because it uh, it does seem to the the idea. I mean, yeah, as as you've said, it wasn't entirely unknown in 1975, but it was it was more commonly associated yeah. with public housing. Yeah. Whereas now, looking at, at a lot of these these uh, things that are going up in Britain, particularly in London, 
the idea of executive high-rise living seems a little bit more uh, common. Yes. The segregation, however, is still sort of dramatic. I don't know if this I think it's, it's more brutal, actually, than it was. I, I, I don't know about you, but I found it, when rereading this, it was hard not to think about Grenfell Tower. Exactly. Yeah, that's the elephant in the room, really, right. isn't it? You know, that's that's a building where the oversight of the construction was completely lacking. Yeah. And you know we're going to have another Hillsborough Stadium-type delay for the accountability of this, because ultimately yeah. it's going to come back to the government. And yes. the government will be kept 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 yeah. out of it one way or another, or at least until the current people involved are dead. Yeah. And when when Hillsborough was finally settled, or at least some measure of justice came out of it, I had I had to re- I had to go and reread the history. It had been that yeah, long. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a, and, and if you were if if you were younger than you are, then then you would have uh, you it wouldn't even have been a name to you. You yeah. would have really wondered what that was. Yes, and I know, and, and, and the Grenfell is is an absolute disgrace of of a neighbourhood that had a you know a, lo- a low cost housing, high density mm-hmm. low cost housing for lower income people and in a neighborhood that got gentrified uh, exactly. and the neighborhood itself wanted this eyesore somehow to be improved. So they put a highly flammable decorative outer shell on the tower mm. and then burn, and it burned up. What? 77 more people died. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, yeah it, it's, it, 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 you know, it's another, is is another uh, way in which you know we just see all, all the time housing reflects class and yeah. and, and money yeah, yeah. so directly. I mean, it, yeah. Certainly, it's true here. If you the buildings that go up around around Boston, of course, and we still got this kind of investment. And there was a really remarkable comment. Will Self gave uh-huh. uh, in a conversation with somebody else. I can't remember the name of had a conversation about high rays and that you can find a video online somewhere. Mm-hmm. I should put it in the notes maybe if I can find it. Yes. Um, and he commented that he made, uh, after Ballard died, he knew Ballard. Um, and mm-hmm. after he died, he made a pilgrimage fridge from his home to the airport, got on a plane to Dubai, got off the plane in Dubai mm-hmm. and went out to the, that sort of sand world, those new islands that oh, they yeah. built out there, went to England and went to Shepparton there. Sort of like you know, as approximately uh-huh. as he could make it. Uh, so from from real Shepparton to fake Shepparton in Dubai, and he commented on how Dubai itself is really a, 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 a private equity scam, right? The whole damn thing, mm. and that's what we see in at least of the constructions here in Boston. I don't know. You've got luxury apartments being built there. I don't know if how many of them are occupied. They're just owned by people as a way of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, savings. The parking like, money, yeah. Yeah, basically. I mean, you don't want to leave the money just in cash in the bank. Stocks sometimes seem a little yeah. bit scary, especially when stock markets are so highly valued, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's my property. Yeah. And so that's, so these buildings go up and they're, oh, it's just like so stupid. I mean, why? there's no shortage of money for housing around and there's plenty of people who don't have a home at all. And you, you know, you can maybe... Yeah, give them some money out of your pocket as you pass them by, but mm. yeah. Anyway, what more can we say? I'm uh, 
the part that I find particularly relevant, especially in chapter three, I think chapter three is like, it's just, mm. it's scary how succinctly he manages to describe this class of of childless professionals, the young, prof- uploadly mobile professionals who are, mm-hmm. um, they have no loyalty really to anyone, but they are, they yeah. are, they are morally malleable and they form, you know, a distinct class that has, has its own class interest and will protect itself. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably, uh, well, I don't know. I don't get invited to parties like that. Um, probably when uh, Ballard was writing the book, they were a bit more freewheeling sexually. Yeah. So uh, this was, things, things have calmed down a bit, I suppose. And, and, <laughs> yes, the, and the drinking, and the drinking too. I mean, but yes, 1975 in London, this was before AIDS, probably yeah. even and one before of the herpes, right? Wonderful things about this book is that ev- about the film rather is that everybody's smoking all the way through it. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cigarettes, well, even, even at the dinner table, right? You know, yeah. There's the food in front of us, and we've all got cigarettes. But yes, there's a lot of booze as well, which is uh, which would be a little, it would be seen a little bit differently now. It's mm. the the other thing is that it, it shows it shows women being. Uh, the movie, at least, shows the women being wonderful hair, right? They've all just mm. got wonderful hair, <laughs> 70s hair. I, um, I, yeah. I like 70s looks a lot more than 80s looks. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to see how things recur here. We see these same kind of classes in... Uh, Ballard's later novels. There's the what they call that little trilogy of his gated novels. Uh, it's uh-huh. like the Cocaine Night, Super Can, and the other one. I don't remember. Where again we've got this rather enclosed society, but in that case, they the bad behavior get ends up get and the isolation, and so like the the separation of security. Right. So in, in, in mm. normal society, we've got laws and police and law enforcement, and blah, blah, blah. That's all integrated with the rest of the country. In gated communities, you can have private police. Yes. Private security. And uh, then the private security uh, gets bored just like everybody else. And yeah. so they get in on the crimes. <laughs> so you've got these, yeah. these uh, you, you know, Supercan's a wonderful book. Um it's really fine. But then back in England, I think the last book is called Kingdom Come. Uh, oh, in which that. Yeah, it's and it's sort of take it's sort of looking at how English nationalism hmm. can can be manipulated. It's looking it's sort of like showing how how a local politician could rile up uh populations of uh you know hmm. the kind of football fan level. Yeah, West Londoners. Yeah, <laughs> who end up going and occupying a uh, a shopping centre. Same kind of same kind of views of classes, but also the 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 sort of belief that under the right circumstances, mm. and you can see why somebody who's been in war situations might believe this. Under some circumstances, mm. uh, not necessarily everybody, but a lot of people are going to go pretty weird. Yeah. Oh. So I, it's a big, important question for us right now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what? How are you ready? I'm not. Oh, I don't know. 
things I, I think things are going to go south here quicker than uh, quicker than where you are. You've got a little bit more of an egalitarian setup where you are, I think. Yeah. But around here, I'm on the periphery of, of neighborhoods. As I said, my uh, the streets I'm on are now such that we couldn't possibly afford to live in this neighborhood, not remotely. Mm. But it's only a couple of streets over where where people might struggle to get the cops to come and pay attention to them because oh. that's low-cost housing over there. The only comfort I can give you is uh, is my experience of, of living in uh, in Noisy-le-Grand, which was marked mainly by banality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you, how do you feel about this? You, you went up in an elevator and then passed through a long corridor and then you've yeah. got a door. So it felt yeah. like it felt like being in a hotel in that respect a little bit yeah mm. it was uh yeah it was a very very strange time of my life but funnily enough um that building uh apparently recently the uh the local government or the or national government or something decided well that building's getting getting a bit old it's maybe past its purpose <laughs> we'll we'll tear it down and all the residents got up a petition and said, no, 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 leave it as it is. We we like it here. We formed ourselves into a tribes of cannibals and <laughs> we don't want to leave. <laughs> We're having good parties. Yeah. <laughs> You're not invited. No, but... <laughs> but um, uh, no, uh, uh, as, uh, as it's turned up in films, it's turned up in Brazil, uh, it turned up in Game of Thrones at some stage. And uh, I, I can actually remember sitting in the flat watching some terrible movie with Bridget Nielsen in it. Mm -hmm. And she pulled up in front of the apartment building. And I was like, wait a minute. I almost <laughs> went to the window, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hunger Games, I think I spotted that somewhere the same building. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it turns up there as well, yeah. Yeah, I think that was in something you put on Substack, yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So, no, there was some other, like, big picture idea that I'd had about high rise. Um but I guess we can leave it for another day. It's a, uh, I think if we, if we want to talk about architecture, we could. But, you know, we've kind of successfully put that one to the side, haven't we? It's not really about architecture, although it is. No, no, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I mean, it is to an extent about how um, architecture does or can force people to live in different ways, in certain ways. I mean, it does impose itself on people's lives. Uh, yeah. But I think we can have that conversation another day. It might be better to do yeah. it with some Jacques Tati. Uh, yeah. Why not? Yeah, because, I mean, uh, Mon Oncle and Playtime are mm. about architecture, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So are we done? Put it yep, off? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> 